0: Stand together for the reading of God's Word. I will be reading, uh, starting in chapter 22 of Luke at verse 66, and reading through to verse 25 of chapter 23. And please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible Word. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad For he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence... I have found I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil. Has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. So who was Pontius Pilate? Even atheists know that he washed his hands. Uh, We had a visit uh, recently and we're talking about Pontius Pilate and isn't he the guy who washed his hands? So he's a well-known historical figure even to those who don't read the Bible. Who is this man? What can we know about him? What can we learn from him? As we consider Pontius Pilate today, we'll continue our walk alongside Jesus and his disciples This character, this man, this real historical figure has been laid out before our eyes in the scriptures. What can we learn from him? Imagine being there during the public trial before Pilate. Remember, we, us sitting here more than 2,000 years later, we know what the outcome was. But remember, they didn't know what the outcome was. They should have, but they didn't. They didn't understand what Jesus had told them. Us looking back with more than 2,000 years of hindsight, we know. But the disciples did not. They didn't know what was going to happen. Would Jesus be executed? Would he be crucified? Would he be imprisoned? Would he be scourged? Would he be publicly embarrassed? Would he be acquitted? Would he be vindicated? What would happen to their Lord? So as they watch the trial unfold, we don't know for sure exactly who all the followers of Christ were that were there, but we know that the followers of Christ were able to observe. Some of them observe this. Pilate stands before them as the main character in this, this particular phase of what's going on. He will de- decide Christ's fate. What he does at that time will decide whether Jesus goes on to be crucified. Now, even though Christ had told them that he would be killed and resurrected, the disciples were still, think of it, all night long, whirling in fear, scattered and confused, as this trial marches on before their eyes. It's not really until after the resurrection, after things stabilize in the great shining glory of the resurrection, that they begin to even understand what was happening in these moments. So who was Pontius Pilate? We'll take a look at him, kind of an extensive look at a Bible dictionary, learning some more about this man. And then we'll look at today's text, how he questioned Jesus, he sent Jesus to Herod, and we'll think about what we can learn from about Pilate from these events. And we see that Pilate and Herod became friends in this text. We see Pilate's verdict. He's gone through all of the process and he has a sentence that he proposes to them. They're not listening. He continues to call out to them. He even gives a third plea to the people to try to, again, keep this from happening. But ultimately, he capitulates to the people. And we see his final bedrock allegiance. It it finally comes out. We'll see in the New Testament, Pilate's legacy in the Scripture. The Scriptures after this speak of Pilate as well. How do the Scriptures speak of him? And then we'll have some, as usual, questions to know and to love and to obey God and see how, uh, how are we like Pilate? How do we have divided allegiances? What kind of stressors in our life might demonstrate that we are not worshipers of Christ? We find no fault in him, but we don't actually give him full and total lordship over every aspect of our life. So about Pontius Pilate, Luke chapter 3 is where we first bump into him in the Gospels. Remember this, it's about the introduction into John the Baptist's ministry. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So we know that Pontius Pilate wasn't new to this position. He had been in this position during the entire years of ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 13, we have a single mention of this episode that occurred. and It shows us uh, how the Jews thought of Pilate. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So there's a learning episode that Jesus gives to these individuals who make reference to a current event where Pilate... And their eyes had acted in an evil fashion, uh, acting violently towards them, shedding their blood during a time of sacrifices. It's a long entry from Bible Dictionary that I think is worth reading as we learn about Pilate together today. He was a Roman governor of Judea from approximately A.D. 26 through 36 or 37. He appears in the Gospel narratives at the trial of Jesus Many key witnesses mention Pilate, but much of what is known of his life and rule comes from Josephus. You can see the references there mentioned in your notes. Philo recounts a single incident involving Pilate. And Tacitus confirms that the crucifixion of Christus came by Pilate during the reign of Tiberius. In all four Gospels, Pilate is involved in the trial of Jesus Luke also references an otherwise undocumented incident involving Pilate and the Galileans. We looked at that a little bit in chapter 13. There's some speculation looking at historical references of what occurred, but we don't know for sure when that was. Going on, an inscription at Caesarea Maritima Maritima, gives the technical title of his position as Prefectus Iduea, that is the prefect of Judea. A prefect uh, was a leader of 500 to 1,000 military troops. The office involved military, financial, and judicial responsibilities. Pilate is portrayed in several ways in the three main sources, Josephus, Philo, and the Gospels. Philo and Josephus present Pilate as a cruel tyrant, while the Gospels present him as a weak and easily swayed ruler. These varying positions may be reconciled by considering Pilate's relationship to Roman leaders, especially to Tiberius and Sejanus. Pilate's cruel behavior and disregard for Jewish customs began immediately upon his arrival in Palestine in AD 26. He obtained his position through this mentor Sejanus, who was commander of the Praetorian Guard and known to hate Jews, according to Philo. Pilate first offended the Jews by bringing Roman standards with images of the emperor into Jerusalem. Previous prefects had not placed any images in Jerusalem. The Jewish people sent a delegation to Caesarea and pleaded with Pilate for five days to remove these images from the city. On the sixth day, Pilate sent soldiers into the crowd. At his signal, they were to draw their swords and cut the Jews to pieces if they did not allow for Caesar's image. The Jews fell down together and exposed their necks, for they would rather die than transgress their law. Pilate, not desiring revolution, decided to remove the images from Jerusalem. That's from Josephus. A second conflict occurred after Pilate took funds from the sacred treasury to build aqueducts. When Pilate visited Jerusalem... His actions caused uproar among the Jews. He mixed his own soldiers into the crowd disguised as civilians. At his signal, they beat the protesters with clubs. Many Jews died from the beatings or were trampled by the crowd. This is from Josephus. Philo describes an an incident where Pilate, in an attempt to honor the emperor Tiberius, Placed shields bearing the emperor's name in the former palace of Herod in Jerusalem. By placing the shields in the headquarters of the Roman administration, not the temple, Herod was attempting not to offend the Jews. However, the leading Jews, along with four of Herod's sons, requested that Pilate remove these shields. When he refused, they appeared to Emperor Tiberius by letter. They appealed to him by letter. And Tiberius, it turns out, he was infuriated and ordered Pilate to remove the shields and place them at the temple of Augustus at Caesarea. Pilate's attempt to honor Tiberius led him to, caused him to fall into disfavor with the emperor. The last recorded conflict resulted in Pilate's removal from office. When a Samaritan false prophet led his followers to Mount Gerizim, claiming to show them Moses' sacred vessels, Pilate blocked their route with cavalry and with armed men. Some followers were able to flee, but others were killed or taken prisoner. The most prominent men were executed. The Samaritans appealed to Vitellius, the prefect of Syria. Vitellius sent Marcellus to temporarily take over Judea and ordered Pilate to stand before the emperor in Rome to answer the accusations of the Jews. This is according to Josephus. This took place at the end of A.D. 36, or the beginning of A.D. 37, and he arrived in Rome after Tiberius' death. Tiberius died in March of 37, before Pilate arrived there. Nothing is recorded of Pilate after his arrival in Rome, but he was likely exiled to France. Eusebius recorded that Pilate committed suicide after the trial of Jesus, though there's no evidence to confirm this kind of an extensive list of what we know from history about Pilate's dealings there when he was the prefect in Judea. You can see that his term was not smooth. He neither had a good relationship with the Jews or with the Romans. He was in a pinch. He was the prefect there for about prefect there for about 10 years. He was there under Tiberius, appointed there by Tiberius to rule that area as the local governor. And as you know, that included Israel and Jerusalem. The Jews saw him as one who hated the Jews. And meanwhile, he did not have favor with his Roman overlords. So that's the situation that Pilate was in throughout his tenure there, getting worse and worse as time went on. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived in Caesarea. He was there only because of the feast and the large crowds that were there at that time. Probably the same with Herod, who had places and palaces to live all over the place. So what happens? That's a little background of Pilate. What do we see from Luke? Well, let's look at first time Pilate questions Jesus. The whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. These are the Jews. Remember, we looked at this last week. So they're taking him now to Pilate with their false accusations they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And here's Pilate's response. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, Beginning from Galilee to this place, so you can see that their claims about Jesus forbidding them to pay taxes, uh, perverting the nation, Pilate didn't find any evidence for that, and he didn't find this claim to be king to be anything worthy of death. So, first, so Luke's first mention of Pilate, it appears positive to us. He's not quick to give in to the unjust demands of the Jews. Pilate finds no fault in Jesus and states this publicly to the clamoring Jews. The Jews will not be dissuaded though. They have uh, a firmer commitment to a particular outcome than Pilate does to his. Perhaps the followers of Jesus were there. Imagine seeing this. Maybe they were becoming hopeful at this point. Maybe they were beginning to talk positively about Pilate. Even though they saw the accusations of the Jews. It certainly would have been a dramatic moment there for the followers of Jesus Christ at that time. There's some details we get from other Gospels that help us see a fuller picture of what was happening there. Matthew 27, verses 12 through 14. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word so that the governor marveled greatly. This is also given to us in the book of Mark. So Pilate, we discover, was marveling greatly at the way Christ was dealing with these myriad accusations that were being brought against him over and over again. And it's worth noting that even though Jesus didn't defend himself against these false accusations, they didn't stick. Pilate saw that the testimony was self-contradictory. Pilate saw that somehow the testimony did not convict Jesus. And yet he marveled at Christ's silence. And we know from John, that we'll read now, is because most people are going to work really hard to get on Pilate's good side at this point. In John 18, this same account is presented to us, verses 28 through 38. We'll look at it in two parts as we go through this. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium And it was early morning. So, remember that whole thing at Caiaphas Place is finished now. And they go to the praetorium. So we know that this uh, fortress location is where this trial took place, this public trial. That's where they were holding Jesus inside the praetorium. Going on with John. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled. But that they might eat the Passover. And so there's, in passing, another point that they were going to be eating the Passover later. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evil doer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death. He would die so they didn't just want to judge Jesus they wanted Jesus put to death so again there's another positive example given to us that Pilate is seeking to carry out what looks like a legitimate trial but the Jews instead you know what they say initially they just demand Pilate trust their verdict without any investigation of his own well we wouldn't be here unless this guy were a malefactor of course we don't have to defend ourselves to you Obviously, he's a bad guy. We wouldn't be all acting this way if he wasn't a bad guy. But, Pilate, being apparently a man with some commitment to justice, refuses. He refuses initially to use Roman capital punishment powers for what he views to be just a violation of Jewish law. Now, going on in John 18... Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, <coughs> called Jesus, and said to him, So Pilate goes back and talks some more with Jesus. He says to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Don't let that pass, okay? Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? So Pilate goes back to the official. Hey, I'm the judge here. I'm not interested in a gospel presentation. I'm just going to be the judge. What am I? I'm not a Jew. He missed his chance. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So Jesus makes it very clear that he's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of everything. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? It was confusing to Pilate. Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. And this expands beyond just the Jews. For this cause I was born. This is Jesus. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. So that's good. Pilate goes through a fuller questioning of Jesus after the Jews challenge Pilate's initial judgment. So that's good. He finds no fault. But, face to face with Jesus Pilate speaking to the truth says what is truth showing that he is not of the truth at least at that moment not hearing Christ's voice as the king of kings presented there right there in his own little private opportunity somewhat private to speak with Jesus Christ but even still Pilate again finds no fault in Jesus But finding no fault in Jesus is a far cry from what we're called to in our relationship with Him. We can't just sing, Jesus is alright with me. Jesus is just alright with me. Remember that old song, right? Sounded kind of good. No. So note the difference here between worshiping Christ as our God and our King. And finding no fault in Him. So what happens next? You see, Pilate sends him to Herod. Verse 6 and 7, When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Herod, no friend of Jesus. uh, Throughout the story in the Gospels, and we're going to see him more in the future. Pilate is quick to avoid bearing full responsibility for this Jesus controversy, and his other allegiance begins to reveal itself. If Herod agrees with him, that is, finding no fault in Jesus, then Pilate will have more weight to push back against the Jews. And also, Pilate will then have more political cover if the Jews create a tumult over Pilate not condemning Jesus. So he sees the potential for some unrest here and he wants help from Herod to not bear all of this responsibility himself. Now, it certainly could also be just a humble act looking for a second set of eyes. But the final outcome shows us unfortunately that ultimately he was trying to separate himself from responsibility. On the other hand though, if Herod does condemn Christ when he sends him to Christ, Pilate could then join Herod and then have the same political cover. Either way, we see here, Pilate's political motivation is beginning to surface. Pilate's sense of justice only goes so far. It goes no further, it appears, than his own neck. So note also that Pilate was not usually in Jerusalem. This is the text that shows that to us. He was usually in Caesarea, but every time there was a feast and the Jews got together, there was concern There could be a tumult. That's an important historical background for all of these feast narratives that we read. The Romans were always on the guard against another set of zealots uh, trying to strike up a rebellion against the Romans. So it's interesting to see the outcome of this emphasized by Luke that Pilate and Herod become friends. And it does teach us about Pilate. Verse 11 and 12, we're skipping over that section there where Herod and his people mistreat Jesus. We'll get back to that in the future. 11 and 12 says, Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. So, some have interpreted this, that You know, Jesus is a source of restoration and relationships. Jesus brings peace to relationships. Yeah, I don't think that's really what's going on here. I think they have uh, a shared um, foundational allegiance to advancing their own political careers, and they found some sort of way to perhaps help them help one another with that in this episode. And again, You know, the thing that's confusing about Pilate, and we'll see this as we look at the scriptures, it's not like he's presented as just this ultimate villain who's obviously just nothing but a bad, bad villain. He did the wrong thing, but he's a mixture of dignity and depravity. And we see that in every human being. Pilate is willing to be friends with Herod. And Herod is a bad man. And we'll look at him more closely in the future so we learn about Pilate that he's willing to be considered a friend with Herod. Now briefly about Herod, again, we'll look at him more in the future. He's called Herod Antipas. He's son of Herod the Great and Malthus. He's the Tetrarch of Galilee. That's the ruler of Galilee and Perea from 4 B.C. until A.D. 39. So you see all the years of uh, ministry, all the years of Christ's life there. Herod's involved in that. Antipas appears in the New Testament more frequently than any other member of the Herodian dynasty, and his rule coincided with the ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus. The Gospel writers refer to Antipas only as Herod, and he uh, adopted the name Antipas in eighty-six. So we'll look at him some more in the future. He's another example of an evil ruler uh, there with the, in, over the Jews. So what does Pilate do now? So he receives Jesus back from Herod. He's at this point buoyed up in his decision not to condemn Jesus. And he has a whole other plan. He's got his verdict and a whole other plan. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. So, he's sticking to his plan. He's got his back up from Herod. In the other Gospels, we again see some more details. Matthew twenty-seven eighteen, For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. So he was hopeful to overcome their envy. Overcome that motivation by presenting the strength of Herod. And saying, hey, I'll publicly embarrass him by scourging him. Maybe that will give you the satisfaction that you need. And he can kind of keep everybody happy and satisfy his own sense of justice. So he goes ahead. Maybe if he embarrasses him enough, you know, give him as many scourgings as he can legally, maybe that will satisfy them. But it didn't. And he bumps into a deeper level of resolve than he expected from the Jews. Verse 18 and 19 shows their response. And they all cried out at once saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. So he brings up the idea of releasing Jesus. And they say, no, we want Barabbas who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. How does Pilate respond? He's still pressing ahead. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. So Pilate desired to release Jesus. So he really has a sense that he knows that Jesus is being mistreated and that this is not right. But the people will not be dissuaded from the death sentence. That's all they want from Pilate. They prefer a man accused of rebellion and murder instead of Jesus. So Pilate's plan, now he realizes it is not working. They are utterly committed to this goal. Think about being a disciple at this point. Continue to watch this back and forth, this back and forth, wondering, watching what's going to happen to Jesus. Now, of course, if they had had faith, they would have realized that Pilate is no judge of Jesus. They would have understood that his fate and theirs did not rest in Pilate's hands. The other Gospels shed some light on this situation. This interesting development where the Lord God in His providence gives this very unsettling dream to Pilate's wife this very time, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So she's not really responding properly to the knowledge that Jesus is just to have nothing to do with him is the wrong answer. So did this message of a dream impact, this, this dream that she told him about, did this impact Pilate's decision-making at this crucial moment? It came right at that time, didn't it? We don't know. But it's certainly a powerful providence. Have nothing to do with this just man. Well, in some regards, he'd been having a lot to do with this just man. He had been standing up for him up until this point, it looks like. He doesn't give up immediately, but I can't help but wonder how this impacted him. His wife has this painful dream because of Jesus on the very day that Pilate would be examining Jesus. It seems to me that this providence would have fed Pilate's fears. We know from other scripture, we'll see it as we go along, that he was afraid. He had fears about this situation. And would have grown, begin to if it wasn't there already, really begun to grow his desire to completely be disconnected from Christ at this point. I just, I don't want to have anything to do with whatever this outcome is. But he still doesn't give in to the Jews. He still wants to release Jesus. But he still wants to have nothing to do with him. You can see how he's kind of torn apart on the inside. And this is why his actions, when we look back, they don't really, they don't add up. They don't make sense. He's conflicted. Are we like him sometimes? People look at our lives and, Conflicted. Pilate goes on and gives his third plea in this section. He actually gives more than three pleas throughout the whole story. But in this section, he gives his third plea. Here's their response. They shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. So even this third time, he pleads with them, questioning them, Why? Why should I crucify him? I found no reason for death in him. He's demonstrating that he's trying to continue to be reasonable with these people. So he sticks to his plan. I'll scourge Jesus. I'll let him go. He still wants to have nothing to do with Jesus. And it's almost as if you know, or the people know, that Pilate is not going to stick to his plan. If they ramp up their pressure, if they bring enough threats, if they appeal to his deepest allegiance, that he will give way. Now, of course, the devil knew, right? And I think probably the devil knows our allegiances better than we do as well. So here's this conflicted man, and things are getting tighter and tighter for him. Verse 24 and 25, we see him capitulating. Verse 23, the final demand of the Jews that pushes it over the edge. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests Prevailed. So he gave up. He said, okay. So Pilate gave sentence. Now it's important to note that. He didn't rule. Uh, never mind. That was not his ruling. Uh, he didn't rule like, let's pretend this didn't happen. He gave a ruling. He gave sentence that it should be as they requested. Pilate condemned Jesus to be crucified. And he released to them the one they requested who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison and he delivered Jesus to their will. So Pilate knows his plan's not going to work in terms of not bringing a greater threat to his ultimate allegiance. So he has to do what they call him to do because they have, they've trumped him. Because he feared a great tumult, tumult arising in Jerusalem he feared that he would be identified with a man who made himself equal or greater than Caesar. We'll see that as we go on in other gospel accounts. So he gives up. Right? And so in our lives, right, we're going to go through processes that God uses to demonstrate to us what our ultimate allegiance is. We will go through this as well. And sometimes we will fail. But we get to repent. Right? Maybe, maybe Pilate repented. We don't really know the outcome of this life. You know, in the Eastern Church, they, they have him as a saint. There's a story there in the Eastern Orthodox Church that he, that he did repent, and, and his wife as well. So, um, but we don't really know. We don't really know. Listen to John 19. We see more about what pressured Pilate to finally break. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate said to them, Behold the man! Therefore when the chief priests and officers saw him they cried out saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him for I find no fault in him. That's not what they wanted. They wanted a ruling. Right? So notice he he gave him, Okay fine, go kill him. I'm not going to do anything about it. But he had yet to sentence him. The Jews answered him, We have a law and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? To Pilate confused. True in one sense, right? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, and here's their trump card, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend." Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So now they're accusing Pilate. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And as a side note, it's worth, you know, on other topics... John used Roman time. Mark, Matthew used Jewish time. Otherwise, it will appear as though there's a timing contradiction between the two Gospels. Okay? So going back. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover in about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. So Pilate, his ultimate allegiance was to his own neck. He was afraid of being seen as one who could possibly be against Caesar. So the Jews play their final card, and it's too much for Pilate to brave. He gives in. And Matthew twenty-seven twenty-four gives us the famous picture of Pilate that we're all familiar with it, this moment after he makes this decision. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. So did that absolve Pilate of his guilt? He's fooling himself, right? He had the best of intentions, it appears. But it didn't free him from the guilt of his decision. He was still guilty. He could wash himself as much as he wanted, but he was still guilty. So he deceived himself, believing that he could blame the Jews and be free of the responsibility of Christ's death and somehow accomplish what his wife warned him to do, to have nothing to do with that man but he was wrong. But, nevertheless, his reluctance to participate in Christ's execution, it is remembered in Scripture. The followers of Jesus who saw this, they hear the final verdict. They're there, they see it, they watch it happen, and they see Christ turned over to be crucified. And it seems to them as if all is lost and their hope is crushed. Ultimately, it will be finally and fully crushed. When they see his dead body taken down off of the cross. And their faith is challenged to the uttermost. So what is Pilate's Bible legacy? Well, there's four places in the New Testament where Pilate is mentioned after this. Three of them in the book of Acts and one in First Timothy. And I'll read them to us and you'll see how the Bible remembers Pilate. Okay? Acts chapter 3. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. So we do see here, according to this scripture, that Pilate is not given equal guilt with the Jews. He is, in some regards, commended comparatively to the Jews, because he wanted to let him go. So it's okay to say that about Pilate. He was portrayed in a positive light. The, the, the problem is, when we portray our, ourselves in a positive light, or others even, but we don't really know the fullness of the story. Because Pilate's allegiance is revealed through this difficult time. Acts 4, 23-28, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God, and with one accord they said, So they're praying now. This is a prayer. Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So that's the phrase that they're praying according to. Gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Here they go on in their prayer. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand to be done. So even though we see this commendable behavior on his part, even commended in Acts chapter 3, nevertheless, we see that he is guilty. He's grouped in with those who were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. So even though he was determined to let Jesus go, he's still grouped amongst those responsible for Christ's death. In Acts chapter 13, the phrase is given there in verse 28, and though they found no cause for death in Jesus, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. So it's just a passing reference to Pilate's participation Again, showing his authority in the situation and yet kind of his passive involvement in what happened. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 13 and 14, this is a beautiful text where Timothy is encouraged to be like Jesus. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. That you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. So it's a passing reference to Pilate's authority to release Jesus. And Jesus could have certainly said, oh no, no, I don't make any claims about being a king. No, I'm just, uh, don't find any fault in me. Jesus told the truth and it was used against him to kill him and it's when they tore their robe in the overnight meeting, it's when they concluded the morning meeting, and it was what was used there at that time to threaten Pilate enough to get him to agree to crucify Jesus. You can't say you're a king in Rome and not threaten Caesar and thus have your own life. threatened, and anyone associated with you. So Jesus, of course, we know he's Jesus and he always gave the right confession. But what he's bringing before Timothy's eyes is that in the face of certain death, Jesus gave the good good confession. And he teaches us about Pilate again, that he had the authority in that situation and he misused it. So there's Pilate. And there's a lot more that we could study and learn about Pilate. But I think that's a good overview for us. And Let's examine ourselves in light of this. We've done a little of that already with some questions here and there. Uh, But let's take a closer look at ourselves with the hope that we'll know and love and obey God more deeply and be transformed a bit more today by the renewing of our minds. So who was Pontius Pilate? Did he have a concern for justice? What would you say to that question? Did he appear to have a concern for justice? He did. I think so. We see the evidence of this in him resisting the Jews, right? And him having some more meaningful conversations with Jesus, with him rejecting some of those other claims and not even giving any weight to those false witnesses. But what else do we see about Pilate? Well, do we see him having a concern for his own reputation and income and position, his own neck, that appeared to be greater? ultimately, than his concern for justice? Yes. And what is the evidence of this that we see in the text? His fear is mentioned. His giving way. His washing his hands. Even his decision to send Jesus to Herod began to, you know, unveil. He's trying to get loose from this. So we can see Pilate... Think if we look at this as a double minded man, he's divided, he has competing allegiances within his own soul. And you know what happened because of this? He missed Jesus. He missed Jesus. I don't ever see Pilate insulting Jesus, right? But he missed Jesus. What should he have done? What do you think Pilate should have done? If he had faith, if he had answered properly at that moment when Jesus said, are you asking just for yourself? What do you think he should have done? What do you wish he had done? If you were Pilate, looking back on your life at that moment, what would you wish that you had done? I don't know but I I would have wished that he would have fallen down on his face and worshipped him. I I would have wished that his eyes would have been opened to the one who is the creator of all things. The great Christ. And worshipped him and proclaimed not only his innocence, but his lordship over all things. And stood up to the Jews and said, you are condemning yourself and your nation to the total destruction of, Under the hand of this righteous man. Who is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And I will have no part of it. I will follow Jesus. Let him give you the verdict. Something like that. He's trying to split the difference, you see. Trying to find that spot where he could please everyone. So how are you like Pontius Pilate? Do you think Christianity is this thing where we're just called to not find fault in Jesus? Jesus is all right with me. Is that Christianity? And and you show up at the club. And uh, but when things get tough, you you bolt. You wash your hands of him. Or, will you worship Him as your Lord and be as devoted by His grace to being sanctified as He is to sanctifying you? And that no matter what conviction the Lord Jesus Christ brings into your heart and soul about your own sin that you nurture, that you will repent. Because that was the problem for Pilate. He had a, a bedrock allegiance that he just needed to repent. Things get real for Pilate and he ends up rationalizing and washing his hands. So maybe you would pray to the Lord, Lord, in what settings do I rationalize like Pilate? In what settings do I wash my hands like Pilate and think, deceive myself that somehow I'm okay with you? That would be a a good prayer, I think. So if we've categorized Pilate properly, he was a double-minded man whose foundational allegiance was to himself and not to God. And because of that, he was blinded. He missed Jesus. And serves now as an example to the entire globe of a person like that. He's Got some good things, right? But ultimately, nobody wants to be like him. I think that's a safe statement. Right? You might want to be like him in terms of, hey, if he ended up repenting, and maybe that sign that he had put over Jesus' head that said the king of the Jews, maybe that was his repentance. They resisted, and he did it anyways. That does seem like maybe it could bring Caesar's threat down in his head. We don't get any... interpretation from scripture about why Pilate did that. I don't want to be like Pilate. I hope you don't want to be like Pilate. I hope that each of you would desire for God to show you your sinful bedrock allegiances that compete with worshiping Jesus Christ, hearing his voice, and being sanctified every moment of every day until you go home to see Jesus. Next, do you think the followers of Jesus may have been hoping in Pilate's justice for a time? I think they probably were. I think they were probably, in some regards, appropriately encouraged for a short time. Do you think, though, maybe it had maybe it got a little bit too much for them. I know for me, I could definitely see myself trusting more in Pilate than I should have in that situation. Really believing that Pilate is the ultimate judge of Jesus. Nudging the other disciples, go Pilate, go Pilate. Get a red hat, Pilate. It's funny, but it's not funny. It's funny, but it's not funny. So how how might we be like the disciples probably were in that situation? Like, did Jesus need Pilate's permission to leave that stage? Did the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ need Pilate's permission to love and worship and trust Jesus Christ in that moment? Did the disciples need any word to come from Pilate's mouth to give them hope? No 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 he's smaller than a drop in a bucket compared to the glory and the majesty of our god So really I'm talking about statism okay and it's it's any way that we would believe in the state in ways that we should not and it's it's subtle you know you can be glad to have a good government that does just things and then you can just like end up worshiping them and thinking they're the best thing ever and then when they're sitting there washing their hands and saying well you know I'm trying to stop baby murder but you know we just can't get the votes that you'll actually defend them or or maybe maybe I would or or things like that right because you know there's There's some serious questions about what is statism? What is the worship of the state? And when does it happen in a human soul? So I think that's a legitimate question for all of us, especially those of us who do things like pay exorbitant taxes and deal with ridiculous bureaucrats and regulations that weigh us down. When can we possibly get into these types of things? So pray about that. Is the state to be over the church? No. No. The state is not to be over the church. And that may have been perhaps what was in their mind. Seeing Pilate truly as Jesus' ultimate judge. Well, brothers and sisters, what did Pilate miss? You know, let's let's look at Jesus. What did Pilate miss? He didn't see Jesus right there in front of. Jesus told him, I am the king of the Jews. Jesus told him, my kingdom is not from this world. Well, he's, it's not a galactic conquest in, in terms of like aliens showing up or something. Jesus was telling him that he was the king of the cosmos. The king of everything. The man given dominion over all the earth. Pilate missed it. You see, Pilate was not lowly and gentle. Ultimately, the reason that he missed Jesus is he didn't have faith, the faith that would have given him the lowliness and the gentleness necessary to see Jesus in this situation and to obey Jesus no matter the cost, no matter what he would have lost, no matter what would have happened to him. It is faith that frees us from fear, brothers and sisters. It is the faith that gives us the courage to obey Jesus and say, come what may. May we all be like that. Paul said, in closing, he'd just given the beautiful presentation of the glorious gospel of chapters 1-3 through 3 of Ephesians. And he turns the corner and he says, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And then he describes what that looks like in these two simple words, with all lowliness and gentleness. So may the Lord bless us to learn from Pilate, who didn't have that lowliness and that gentleness necessary. That lowliness which doesn't overestimate ourselves, which mistrusts ourselves appropriately and that gentleness that expresses that lowliness with tenderness and kindness at all times to each other. So I hope that we've learned from Pontius Pilate and I hope that God will use the preaching of his word for all of us to grow up in Christ through Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we acknowledge to You that in our flesh, this body of death that's within us, we have allegiances that are contrary to You, Lord Jesus Christ. And that these dark commitments prevent us from loving and serving You as we should. That make us look double-minded like Pilate. We ask You, Lord God, in Your kindness to us to grant to us eyes to see where this is true and to repent. And that we would be like Pilate in placing the sign over our lives, over our souls and saying, Jesus Christ is the King here. But meaning it, doing it as a demonstration of our repentance, And that we would live in one another's midst unto this end, Father. That Jesus Christ would be the Lord of our lives, the Lord of our families, the Lord of Foothills Christian Assembly, the Lord of your church in the earth in truth and in devotion, and the Lord of the globe in demonstrated submission and love and obedience to him.